Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. You can join in the discussion at the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show. Make sure you subscribe and comment and share. And remember, this month when you share the show, you are entered to win a Knox version two. get those British vibes coming out of your guitar and we'll announce that at the beginning of March uh, we're not joined by the sexy boat captain John Ross today it's as as he would love to hear it's a season <laughs> it's, a, it's a season for uh, and not in person today uh, but via the interwebs we have this is Bradley Cox pastor at Resurrection Church Greer South Carolina yes sir so um Let's jump in. I was yes. going to mention Sunday, but we have an Inquisition question regarding what happened on Sunday. So okay, we'll cool. get there. We'll get yeah. there. Um, so Matt Paragoy asks, is it possible that my deconstruction in college was actually the revival I prayed for at Pentecostal youth camp in middle school? Should uh-huh. we walk? Yeah, right? Go Matt. <laughs> yeah, go Matt. Go Pentecostal. Uh, <laughs> Should we want to go to war with that which God is using to redeem? I understand that not everyone's faith is stronger after deconstruction, but those of us who get through it with a stronger faith on the other side see how valuable the process can be. I'm not sold on any kind of calling to declare war against it, like what John Cooper did recently, and he's catching some flack for it. He said, why does Skillet hate me? Mm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, so for those who are not in the know, uh, at a show recently, John Cooper of Skillet said, we need to declare war on the deconstruction movement. Uh, he didn't say to declare war on anybody in individually, mm-hmm. but he did say to declare it on the movement. So what are our thoughts on deconstruction, even as a term, as a movement, as a as what's going on right now in general American Christianity. Well, I I think the distinction that you just mentioned is important. The difference between the movement and the individuals who may genuinely be struggling in their faith. Um, You know, I have a, I've mentioned this guy on the podcast before, but I have a good friend, um, a, a significant friend who I've known for 25 years that in the last few years has gone through a deconstruction of sorts. Um, And he and I have actually had some long, intense conversations about that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, at one point uh, um, he actually got mad at me because I was in an effort to try and be empathetic to what he was wrestling with, I, I began to quote scripture. I began to talk about things from the Bible and, and, and he just did not want to talk from that basis anymore. Yeah. And I had to tell him at that point, all right, look, I, I'm, I'm fine to, to be your friend. I'm fine to have conversations. Um, but if, if you have, you know, moved your foundation off of one that we once shared, 
Uh, because, you know, over the years, 25 years, we've had many conversations about the flaws and the warts and the, 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 the weaknesses of the local church and our local church experience. But we've always argued uh, uh, about those things or discussed those things from the basis of what God has revealed about himself in Scripture. And when he moved off that basis, I had to just sort of call that out and say, we're not talking from the same place anymore. Um, And that was a hard conversation. But since that time, um, really in just the last few months, actually, um, he has made quite the turn back to worshiping the living God and mm. even gotten plugged back in. Uh, I, I, not, I, I, has, I shouldn't say plugged back in. He started attending a local church again for the first time in, I think, five years. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. And so uh, that's why I say the distinction is important between are, are we making war on a movement or are we making war on people? And I think that's a fine line that might be difficult to, to identify at times. Yeah. I think, I think definitions are really important here. Absolutely. Uh, where, so just the Google definition of deconstruction, <clears throat> it says a meta, a method of critical analysis of philosophical and literary language. So just, a method of analyzing what you believe <laughs> for, for those who got lost with that, uh, which emphasizes the internal workings of language and conceptual systems, the relational quality of meaning and the assumptions implicit in forms of expression. I mean, really it's just critically analyzing what you believe effectively, which is not uh, a bad thing, which, which is not a bad thing. I think the problem lies and how it gets used and how that term gets used. Yeah. And so really what most people mean when they say they're deconstructing is what the term sounds like. It's they're tearing it down. Yeah. You know, brick by brick or two by four by two by four. And so what what we really mean is, you know, the Joshua Harris's of the world or Michael Gunger is they deconstruct and now they don't believe the thing anymore. Yeah. Like point blank period. Yeah. And, and I have yet to meet or hear of or read about anyone who is deconstructing that is arguing from the basis of objective truth. Yeah. It, it's always about experience. Uh, it's always about sort of internal processing Um and primarily about experience, primarily about human reason, human logic. Uh, there's no objective reality. There's no objective truth. And that was the conversation that I had with my friend is that I'm fine with you asking questions, but where are you going for answers? Yeah. To me, that, to me that's, that is the, the, the deal. And when you have a, a pretty significant portion of the evangelical world that has and this is what's his name from skillet again cooper yeah john cooper you know he says this in this little 2 minute video that you sent me um is that we talking about the the church the evangelical church have done a really poor job discipling people um and i think that that if we're going to make war on something <laughs> you know let's talk about who the enemy is the enemy yeah. might not be in every case the 
the person who's gone to social media to announce that they are no, they no longer consider themselves to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, that might not be the person we need to make war against. We might actually need to look inwardly, not navel gazing, but look inwardly at the church and what we're doing. It's like you say all the time, um, the, the fad in the local church world of having a U2 concert and a TED talk is it's killing us. It's killing us. And I, you know, these are the kinds of things that I'm willing to really get adamant about um, is that I I follow a lot of churches, a lot of pastors on social media, friends of mine and people that I just maybe am loosely connected to. And I was talking to my wife about this the other day, how many churches at this time of year, I mean, you and I had a conversation before we hit record about how we, we don't really love Valentine's Day. Um, and, but yet there are so many churches right now that are doing these topical series on relationships because it's Valentine's day. And that's not bad in and of itself. It's not wicked. But what I've found is I've listened to a lot of sermon clips and, uh, whatnot is that there's a lot of Ted talks going on, uh, talking about relational principles and, you know, just very loosely connected to scripture And I'm not saying that that is the only culprit, but I do think that it's an epidemic that is lending itself to people realizing that shallow theology and shallow understanding of the gospel is only going to result in people finding themselves in, you know, with with a faith that doesn't work, as James says, you know, it just, it doesn't see them through things like suffering. It doesn't see them through, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you, it's fine to talk about relationship principles. Um, but if I, if I only have, you know, five points on how to resolve conflict and don't understand that my marriage is ultimately to be about the glory of God, I don't know that those five points are going to see me through some of the most difficult relational seasons that I might uh, go through in my marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Like, I, think, I think we've got to, um, we, we've got to be willing to admit that we've lacked depth and depth doesn't mean that we have to, you know, put on these scholarly airs every time we take the pulpit <laughs> on Sunday yeah. morning. It just means that we give people the real truth and, and help them see what God is saying to us through his word about himself, about his kingdom, and about the point of our lives. And I think that's worth making more on. Yeah, absolutely. The lack I, of those things. I would totally agree. And I, and I think Cooper would would really agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to quote two other podcasts that are big in the Reformed world, James White likes to say, theology matters. Mm-hmm. And yes, it does. Uh, but then Cultish takes that a step farther and says, bad theology hurts people. It really does. And and whether, you know, what you mostly see out of deconstruction is ultimately, uh, I as far as I can tell, people deconstruct from one of three places. One is uh, the, the fluffy megachurch stuff, the TED Talk kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, uh, you see a lot deconstructing out of uh, like independent fundamentalism. Yep. Uh, Guys like Steven Anderson in that crowd. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you see people deconstructing out of uh, like what Matt was talking about is Pentecostalism, charismaticism, and and especially the, the, the 
heretical ends of it uh, with the Word of Faith movement and New Apostolic Reformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, I don't know if you've seen, uh, but apparently Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson's wife, is in really bad shape. Uh, I haven't seen that. She was uh, she was diagnosed with cancer, I think, four years ago, and it came back. Oh wow! And and she's apparently having trouble breathing. Mm. Uh, and, and which, which is awful. Like you feel yeah. the weight of that, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, are they going to blame her for yeah. that? Like they yeah. have so many other people, if it's always God's will to heal, then why isn't he healing the quote unquote apostles wife, mm. you know? And, and, and from there, you know, how many people are going to be disillusioned with that theology? Well, I guess Jesus really doesn't have that kind of power or he really doesn't give that much of a rip about me in the first place or anything like that. Or, or maybe, maybe I got this all wrong and I need to just, you know, tear it all down and mm. start over. Mm. Yeah. Which, which that, that does need to be torn down. It does. And that's why I say, I think, you know, Matt, Matt's question is, is, is good because he, you know, essentially asked, I mean, are we, are we making war on the, the ways in which God might be showing his kindness to people, you know, his kindness leads us to repentance. And I think about my friend and the journey that he's been on. Uh, and I don't think by any stretch that his, the Lord sanctifying him and, you know, uh, conforming him to the image of Christ is over and done. Like it's complete. It's not, and it's not complete right. for me or you or anybody, but yeah, but I do think that there there will be people if there's fallout from what Benny Johnson uh, is is going through and and how people process that in light of what theology they've been taught. There will be people that God will lead by His Spirit through His Word, sovereignly um, by grace to realize that. Jesus doesn't heal everybody in this life and that Mm -hmm. um, sickness can be endured to the glory of God. And they will, they will grow in the faith as a result of this. Uh, And there may be some that as John would write and say, uh, they fell away because they were never among us uh, to begin with. And, and I, I think that doesn't mean we, we sort of take our hands off the wheel and go, well, it's not, it's it's not my problem. I I, I shouldn't. I, I, there's nothing for me to make war against at all. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's the truth. I think the, the war is really about. You know, your dad. Your dad was installed as an elder. We're going to talk about that on on at Res on Sunday, and I think the 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 words that he spoke to the church after he was affirmed as an elder were really good because he 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 said you know we. What we have going at Res and Res is—I don't think Res is a, um, you know, an elite church like we're better than everybody else. But I mm-hmm. do think the Lord's doing something really sweet here, um, and I, I think that we are a church that's biblically grounded, and I do think we're teaching s- solid biblical theology. And I think having a plurality of elders, not a figurehead who's a celebrity, um, is all of that works together for us to point people to Jesus and not to a fad in the Christian world. Um, and, and that's going to be, that's going to be huge for people as, um, they, 
I think everybody at some point questions their faith. Everybody wrestles mm-hmm. with with doubts and fears. Uh, everybody goes through you know bad experiences in the local church. I mean, how many people have come to Res hurt by the church? Mm-hmm. You know, we've got some people that have just come recently that have been hurt really bad by the church and are trying to process through that. And what's the cure for that? What? How can we best help them? I don't think it's a TED talk on relationships. I think it's 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 <laughs> yeah. let's dive into the Word of God and let's 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 gaze upon His holiness and His beauty and His worth and His righteousness and and let's 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 explore what it means to be citizens of His kingdom. Um, and mm-hmm. and that that isn't always going to be quote unquote as practical as some people think it needs to be. But it, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it is practical because. Uh, when my life is aimed at His glory and not my preferences or my my wants and wishes and whims, then that that changes the way that I, I walk through life and things like cancer. Uh, yeah. It really does. You know, you know. I, th- I think it's it's important to to note the difference between strategy and tactics with this, mm. where where all Cooper has said is make war on this particular thing. Right. Uh, Of, you know, basically tearing Christianity down to the point where there's nothing left, Mm -hmm. which is functionally how deconstructionism works. Um, The tactic can look different. So for your friend, that might look different than if I have a friend going through deconstruction. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just like any warfare where you don't nuke every target. (laughs) Right. Right. You, You sometimes you send a surgical uh, special forces team in the dead of night with night vision goggles, and you go and you do something really, really surgical and very precise. Mm. There are other times when you can carpet bomb an entire military target, mm. right? And and then there are other times where, where uh, you know, like psychological operations where mm. you start putting up propaganda posters <laughs> mm. or flooding radio waves with with your propaganda. And so you get people to start believing the thing that you're telling them, mm. you know, and, and obviously that can, that can be stretched too far with, you know, well, a lot of propaganda is false. Yes. But what I'm saying is, you know, Hey, if, if the U S is peppering uh, Germany with pamphlets before D day, they're saying, Hey, here's what we're going to do. Once we take, once we, you know, take out Hitler. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that would be a good thing. And sometimes all it is is saying, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Uh, and then other times it's, you know, you, you bring in paratroopers and come in behind enemy lines and start killing people from behind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, there's, there's so many different directions you could take it, but the point is there are different tactics for different targets. Mm. And that can be uh, that can be the target of bad discipleship in, ch- in churches, or the target can be your friend who's going through a tough time because he got hurt in X Y Z fashion. That's know? so true. That's good, Cody. I mean, I, I I think you know I'd love to hear Cooper's thoughts on because the video you sent me, I, I didn't hear him say anything about how we go about making war on deconstructionism. Yeah, uh, and and that doesn't mean he hasn't thought about that. But I, if I were, if someone were to ask me, how do we do this? I would say three things. Uh, number one, I would pray first. I, I would consider my sphere of influence, whatever it might be, and I would 
I would first make war on my knees. I know that sounds a little cliche, but, um, you know, Jesus tells the 72 before he sends them out uh, to proclaim the kingdom, pray to the Lord of the harvest. You know, God is ultimately the Lord of the harvest, and we need to pray for laborers. We need to pray, recognizing prayer is a means by which God accomplishes his purposes. And so we need to pray for those in our sphere of influence who are questioning and doubting and perhaps yeah. even deconstructing. And then secondly, I would say we need to laud the truth of Scripture in every context that we possibly can. Um, you know, not everyone has, you know, a, a microphone and a platform on Sunday mornings like I do, but that doesn't mean that we can't in coffee shops and over the phone and over Zoom and uh, in our homes open the Word of God and, and, and consider with fresh eyes, you know, throw out everything you've been taught and open the Word. I'm fine with that. Like, just open the Word and see what what it actually says, what God has revealed about himself in every context we possibly can. And then the third thing I would say, and I've been repeating this over and over again, I heard Tim Keller say, don't despise the pace of God in someone else's life. And I, I just think that that's, that's good wisdom right there is that, you know, it, I could have written my friend off. I could have tried to force the issue at the wrong time. Um, and I'm not saying that I handled it perfectly, but I think that at least in part, I was patient with him. I continued to love him. I continued to be accessible to him and listen to him. And I continued at every opportunity I could, even when he was pushing back from it to laud the truth of scripture. And I prayed for him and now mm -hmm. things are changing and, and I'm excited about that. And I think, I think that's how we make war. Uh, absolutely absolutely um i had a thought that oh there we go I, I i recaptured the thought uh you know to tim keller's point i've heard another illustration before of you know if if i am on a highway from los angeles to new york and i'm headed to new york you know there are going to be people who are also heading to new york who are a thousand miles behind where i am right now Mm -hmm. uh, and there are also going to be people a thousand miles ahead of me. Uh, yep. And then there are going to be people heading to Los Angeles where when we pass each other, we're in the same place. Yep. And, yep. and it's, it's a matter of discernment to, you know, figure out, you know, okay, this person's on this road at this point. Now, where are they going? Yeah. And, and well, that makes a think, huge difference. I think that's a good analogy. And I think, you know, maybe a fourth point that, I don't know. I, I I might need to think through some more, but I'll just throw it out there. But I, I do think, you know, in that video you sent me, Cooper kind of alludes to the fact that it, he doesn't say it this way, but my words would be that there is a bit of a fad nature to this. Like um, yep. it's popular in, in some ways, or it's interesting, intriguing um, to hear about, well-known people who are deconstructing. And so that might in and of itself influence uh, people who are immature in the faith, even though they don't really have some bone to pick with God, they just, oh, that sounds cool. Um, that sounds mm. like a group I can be a part of. And we're so longing. I think in our culture, we're longing for community. Uh, we're starved for it. Uh, that to, you know, that was one of the things I saw happen with my friend is that when he began to deconstruct uh, and question and doubt, 
there were people like me that that put strain on the friendship. And then there were others where they were like, oh, I feel the same way. I, yeah. I have the same questions. I have the, the same doubts. And there's a sense of community that develops around that that is toxic. Um, mm. And and that that might need um, that might need to be considered in a different way. Um, that might not, that might need, we might need to think about our tactics with regard to that, especially when we see, but again, I would go back to my sphere of influence. Who are the young ones in the faith that have been entrusted to my care, to my influence? Um, and how might they be influenced by this potentially? And how do mm-hmm. I, how do I protect them? Uh, that that's yeah. a question that's worth asking as well. It- and I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be hypocritical here, <laughs> but this, you know, because, I, you know, I, I am I'm good at hammering on truth, mm-hmm. but his in historic Christian verbiage, you've got truth, goodness and beauty working together. Mm. And, and so there's there's also a, you know, for, so, for example, biblical sexuality, as opposed to the the alphabet <laughs> going on, um, you know how God instituted marriage is a good and beautiful thing. Right. And so arguing from those as well, you know, far, you know, it, it's going to be weird for me to ever make an emotional argument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know me, like I'm not an emotional guy. Uh, but even like with what my dad said uh, when we installed him is, you know, we, he, he hammered on uh, and I don't think he was even utilizing truth, goodness, beauty in those categories, but you have, he hammered on the churches, not discipling people, having TED talks, and then he got into the beauty of Jesus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that just flows out of Christianity. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, one more point uh, before we go to the Inquisition. Um, I think it's time for a new term for for deconstructionism that still results in having. Uh, a ground, a biblically grounded faith. Okay. Um, like, like I am, it, it's kind of like how I'm not a big fan of the terms continuationism and cessationism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think both of them miss the point. Mm. So for deconstructionism, I think we continue to use the term deconstruction for, you know, what we've been using it for. But if it's, if it's just, you know, Reevaluating what you believe while keeping the essentials, I think that's closer. If we're still going to use, you know, building language, I think that's closer to a renovation. Hmm. You know, you know, like you grew up Pentecostal, mm-hmm. I grew up Church of Christ, and then you know, eventually, you know, basically the American Christian default is effectively semi-Pelagian, mm-hmm. with a default to some form of pre-millennialism, maybe a pan-millennialism. <laughs> Jesus will come back. I don't know how it works out, whatever kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we've both kind of gone through a renovation of sorts, like going from our backgrounds to more of a reformed uh, stance. And then, you know, especially me going full-blown post-mill, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not deconstruction because I still believe the Bible is the, is the root. Of, of, of all those truths. Yeah. It's, it's just, I put down new flooring and I knocked out some drywall <laughs> mm. 
and maybe yeah. I put in LED lights instead of in, incandescent bulbs. Yeah. Well, and I, that's interesting, Cody. I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, if it, I think along those lines, if I was talking to someone who I felt like was, you know, renovating, deconstructing, whatever term we're going to use, I think yeah. my advice to them would be, you know, just don't assume that I think a lot of these deconstructionists assume from the get-go that they have the ability in and of themselves to wrestle with these questions and come to right conclusions. Mm -hmm. Like, in other words, I can just sort of step back from everything. I can disconnect from the local church uh, and I can have conversations with people, uh, read some secular books and sort of figure my way out and find and, my truth and or, quote and or rob bell <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and find my way um and you know the likes of rob bell you know that that i had a i had a facebook conversation with a guy i went to high school with who's deconstructed and he he pinpointed rob bell's book love wins as a uh, and some blogs that Rob Bell had written as sort of the catalyst for his, you know, deconstruction. And mm. that, I don't know, that's scary to me for the likes of Rob Bell, uh, given what scripture says about, you know, certain yeah. things causing other oh, yeah. ones to stumble. But I, um, I just feel like people that you maybe do, it, it, we might have listeners who are questioning and doubting and, and processing things and experiences and whatnot. And I would just say, you know, um, don't assume that you can do that on your own. Uh, I, if there's any sense of faith left in you whatsoever, I would lean into the, to the word of God and the, and the Holy spirit to wrestle with those questions. Even if you end up disconnecting from a local church, because you can't seem to find, uh, a church with a pastor or elders that, um, you know, that are helping you just open your Bible and pray and read and, and consider that God has given you his word. And it, 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 it may not, it, it, if you can come to it with fresh eyes, you might find that um, the problem all along was not um, his word and not him uh, and not the truth. The problem might've just been that you were sitting under bad teaching or you, you, you've been a part of a, of a, of, of a church movement that doesn't emphasize the right things. I mean, that it, it, it's a miracle of sorts that I haven't deconstructed given some of my experiences in the Pentecostal charismatic world. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. It, you know, and I, it, it's God's kindness that, and his grace that's kept me from, from going down that road. So anyway, good stuff. Shall we move on? Sure. And this is the Inquisition, where you ask us questions and we answer them on the fly. You can uh, participate in that via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. We are not keeping with tradition because Brian Morris only submitted one question, and it was with that basically 
uh, skanky Christian movie, that romance movie that just came out that people are jokingly calling Fifty Shades of Grace. And I don't want to. I don't even know what that is. It's apparently like this really steamy Christian romance movie based on Ezekiel. Really? That apparently gets pretty raunchy. Really? (laughs) Yeah. But I don't want to touch that. That, That's that's nasty. Uh, So instead, we're starting with Tom Dugan, who is commenting on uh, the post that I made regarding uh padre's elder installation he asks how do we find someone who looks at us like bradley looked at stan (laughs) hashtag true love (laughs) oh my gosh that's it's uh, i don't i think my wife took that picture uh, or maybe it was your mom oh i I took that picture you took that picture the the one that i posted so if, if if you were looking at 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 padre with uh googly eyes and other pictures that's totally on you so creepy you need to you need to submit your picks for approval Uh, (laughs) you caught me at just the right moment just at the right moment oh man i do love your dad but that was a little creepy yeah yeah (laughs) it was unintentional just for the record that's hilarious that's hilarious but but it, it does go it does speak to the fact that uh we now have five elders at resurrection mm-hmm. and and they actually give a crap about each other. Yeah, yeah. It's and, that, really and that's pretty nice. Thing. It's really been a sweet thing. Such a you know, uh, we had lunch after the service services Sunday mm-hmm. and um you know it was just really really cool to kind of sit there and reflect with them and our wives about you know, we're still learning how to do this. Uh, we're still learning yep. how to be elders. Um, like I, I make no bones about the fact that this kind of plurality, we've had a, a plurality of elders of sorts in my my entire tenure here, but it's really only in the last couple of years that I feel like we've really, with the, with the guys that we've added um, and some of the the training that we've gone through and the how we've just explored together what it means to be an elder and and not just be a kind of a church board that handles the business of the church, but really devote ourselves, Acts 6-4, to the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. Um, it's really been fun to kind of learn how to do that together. Um, mm-hmm. I'm learning how to work with those guys. Um and they're learning how to work with because I'm the one that does the bulk of the teaching. That's what I mean by that. Um, yeah, yeah. Because we don't we don't want we don't want to be kind of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, you know, Bradley and the rest. It, it, we really do want to be uh, a team of men that together submit to one another. And when I prayed on Sunday over your dad, uh, each of the elders took a turn to pray. I prayed. I said, Lord, I want to submit to Stan. And I want all of us to submit to Stan and I want all of us to submit to one another like that. That's a, that's a, that's a real desire that, um, you know, it does sort of stand on its head, the the conventional thinking about, you know, a quote unquote lead pastor and then lay elders or deacons or, or Mm -hmm. church board members, however that fleshes out, uh, in each church. But yeah, you haven't, you haven't used the terminology, but you've been pretty blunt that you're not taking the approach of being the first among equals. No, we're not. Mm-mm. No. And, and that, that is a hard thing to walk out because, you know, what's just from a practical standpoint, you know, I'm a vocational elder, 
Mm-hmm. And Brian Onkin was here overseeing the service on Sunday. And, you know, he talked about the difference between a vocational elder and a lay elder and kind of how that plays out practically. But the fact remains, I'm here every day thinking about res all the time, uh, mm-hmm. working on things related to res all the time. And my other elders, they have jobs, they have they have lives outside the church. And so there does tend to be sort of a um, um, a deference that's given to me uh, when we get together because I'm the one that's primarily devoted to all things res. But I do, I do everything I can to make sure those guys understand. I do not think of myself as a first among equals. And it's really taken some time for us to flesh that out. And, but there have been some little nuggets lately where it wasn't that long ago that I taught from the gospel of Luke. uh, And we had an elder meeting the following Monday night. And one of the elders spoke up and said, I don't feel like you finished that. I think you need to go back and spend some more time on it. I think you need mm-hmm. to, I think you need to do a pass through that text again, because here's some things that I don't feel like got unpacked well. And the rest of the elders said, yeah, we feel that way too. We need, you need to back up. And so they told me, yeah, go back. And, and I, I can't describe to you the kind of joy that I felt when they did that, because there, there's, there's just like this weight that I've carried on my shoulders for 17 years that just in an instant felt 200 pounds lighter. Mm. And I'm so, so thankful for that. And we're growing. We're, we're just Stephen, our worship minister and I, we've had this saying since he came on staff, we're just getting started. And I feel the same way about the elders. We're just getting started and exploring how, how sweet it can be when there's, there's a group of men devoted to shepherding the church together. Absolutely. All right. So the last question is really two questions put together. Uh, One from Casey Starnes and one from my wife, one Mm -hmm. Kristen Fields. And so, oh man, this is, this is going to be a fun one. Okay. So Casey asks, despite the illegality, when is it morally appropriate to bulldozer an abortion clinic, assuming no one's inside? Is there a parallel to be drawn there with the post-Solomon kings destroying the pagan worship places? Kristen follows that up with, why do so many Christians commend Dietrich Bonhoeffer for trying to assassinate Hitler, but most Christians don't seem to advocate that for a modern-day world leader like Xi Jinping, in his treatment of Uyghurs and Christians and potentially playing off of Casey's question. uh, Most Christians would see physical acts against abortion doctors as evil and would advocate that in order to prevent the slaughter of babies, we would need to go through legislative means to end this practice, but that's not what Bonhoeffer did to try to prevent the slaughter of Jews. We support and praise the actions of Bonhoeffer for trying to carry out physical violence to stop genocide, but are adamantly against any modern day comparison. So my question is, here's the question (laughs) after all that. The question is, is this a blatant contradiction, both when looking at this in regards to world leaders and citizens in the form of abortion doctors, Uh, especially when one of those parties is carrying out mass genocide with their own hands to end the lives of defenseless fellow image bearers? (laughs) Mm. 
Boy, you should have made that an episode. Um, yeah, right. We we can carry this this over. Uh, I, I I'd like to think about it some more and maybe revisit it. But I'll say this much: I personally, I don't laud Dietrich Bonhoeffer's efforts to assassinate Hitler. I okay. I don't I don't um, it, whatever role he played in that and you know all of that. I I don't personally think that. Let me be careful how I say this because I might stir up some hornet's nest here. But I, <laughs> I, I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I love the things that he's written about discipleship. I love how he, I love his emotion and his thoughts about you know racism and you know his whole experience of where he, you know, he came to America. Um, right around the time Hitler was coming to power uh, and really wasn't, wasn't fully aware of, of, or wasn't fully conscious of, of what Hitler was trying to do when he came to America, but he, but he came to America. And I think this was the, this was the grace of God. I think this was God exposing him. He came to America and encountered racism really for the first time and was, was taken aback by that. He was, he was blown away at how, People were treated simply because of the color of their skin, uh, their ethnicity and whatnot. And then he comes back home to Germany and all here, here comes Hitler on the scene. And he's like, whoa. Um, and so I think his, his emotions about that were right. But I don't I have question marks about his plot, his participation in a plot to try to assassinate Hitler. I, I have question marks about that. I don't. I don't know that that biblically I can find a basis for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would not, I would not advocate for bulldozing an abortion clinic, regardless of who's in there or not, nor would I advocate for uh, Christians mobilizing themselves to assassinate world leaders, regardless of what they're doing. Mm. I think, uh, I would mostly agree. I think we would obviously both agree that Romans 13 is not a blank check for, for governments. Um, I think, I think I see somewhat of a parallel uh, to the book of judges with Ehud, uh, which is just a hilarious story Mm. (laughs) just all the way through. And um, you know, and, and he, he is lauded in the Bible for helping bring peace in Israel. I think it was uh, 80 years of peace Mm. because he assassinated the Moabite King. Mm. Um, So I think, I think there is maybe something there, uh, but I also think this is something that let's, you know, for the sake of argument say, yes, this can be permissible. It would need to be rare. This can't just be like, Oh, we don't like this guy. Let's just off him. Kind of thing. If it ever happens, uh, it would. It seems that it would need to be very, very rare for very extreme circumstances. Um, so maybe I can get on board with Bonhoeffer trying to to off Hitler. Maybe uh, in some at, in some degree, I could get on board conceivably. Uh, now with with you know someone knocking off. Xi Jinping or uh, Kim Jong Un or what have you, uh, but I would need to see the reasoning behind it, and I think even the method behind it matters. Uh, I, I don't know, man. It just so. 
you know, like I'm, I, not, I'm thinking out loud right now. I'm yeah. not. And I yeah. am too, to a certain degree, I'm not a dispensationalist at all. Um, but you know, there, 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 to me, there's an obvious difference, uh, between the two testaments in, in terms of the, God, I sound like a dispensationalist, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the phases of God's plan playing out in time, right? There, there was a, there was a strategic sovereign, uh, purpose in Israel taking the land. Right. Right. There, there, there's a strategic sovereign purpose in that. And then you come to the new Testament and there's a strategic sovereign purpose in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, ushering in this fresh new, uh, experience of God's sovereign rule coming, um, and being manifest and it's God's sovereign plan to crush him, for him to be killed at the hands of the Jews in Rome. And Peter pulls out his sword to try to stop it. The, he, he, tries, he pulls out his sword to stop the greatest injustice ever. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells him to put his sword away. I just read this morning, Acts 22 or 23, um, where Paul has come back to Jerusalem and you, you know the story, right? I mean, he, he comes back and there and the Jews are just hot because he's, 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 and, and this is where I love Doug Wilson. When he talks about the overlap of the ages, there's this, there's this dying that's happening, this death that's occurring mm-hmm. to the old order of the temple and circumcision and sacrificial system and all of that. And the Jews are like clinging to that for dear life. And I have empathy for them because this has been our whole way of seeing things and seeing our, their, their, their entire identity is wrapped up in that structure in, in the center of Jerusalem uh, that's going to be torn down brick by brick in 70 AD. And, and they're clinging to it for dear life. And here's this guy, Paul, who says, I've been called to the Gentiles. And, and we think he's brought Trophimus into the temple. And, and he's, he's putting Greeks on the same level as us Jews. And we can't stand that. And they want to kill him. And so they, they bring him before you know, the <clears throat> Roman officials and they stretch him out to flog him. And he goes, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen? <laughs> nope. Oh, crap. Um, and then, you know, the story goes on, the tribune, you know, pulls him out of there before when, you know, Paul drops a bomb in, in between the Pharisees and Sadducees and says, I'm here because of the resurrection. And it's so brilliant. Right. And they start fighting each other. The tribune takes him out of there. Um, and then there's a, his nephew gets wind of a plot by the Jews to kill him when Paul's going to be brought out to be uh, heard again in front of the Jerusalem council and the, the governor, um, not the governor, the tribune, you know, comes up with a way to get Paul to Felix, the governor. And ultimately Paul's going to appeal to Caesar and get to Rome. But in the middle of that, I'm, I'm doing a real high fly over this in the middle of that, Luke writes and says, and the Lord stood beside Paul in the barracks, in the prison, and said, don't be afraid, Paul. All this chaos, 
all this abuse of power and 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 threats and all this it, it basically says i'm in charge and you're going to rome uh, i just see this pattern in the new testament of we, we're not you know paul could have mobilized a ton of gentiles and greeks and marched into jerusalem with an army and overthrown the temple himself but he didn't right he just submitted himself. He shaved his head and, and partook in a ritual to say, look, I'm, I'm still playing ball here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it, I, I just don't, I can't find in the New Testament, Cody, a basis upon which I would feel like it's God's will for me to participate in the assassination of some wicked world leader uh, or Mm-hmm. Or anyone who was posing a threat to the church, I, 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 I see the believers when they are threatened. Uh, you know, Peter and John, they're threatened by the Sanhedrin. They go back to their church and they pray, "Lord, consider their threats." And they don't mount up arms; they just pray, "Lord, make us bold." While you stretch out your hand to perform, you know, signs and wonders and. That to me seems to be our battle posture uh, in this age. Um, you know, Paul tells Timothy, "Pray for world leaders that they'll leave us alone." Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I, I know I, anyway. I know the post mill thought, and I know I know what Bonhoeffer did, and I know that abortion is awful and wicked, and and and, and we bring this full circle. How are we going to make war on deconstruction movement? How are we going to make war on abortion? How are we going to make war on genocide at the hands of the likes of Hitler or whoever, the one Kristen mentioned? How are we going to make war on that? How does the, and to me, the question is, how does the kingdom come? How, how does the kingdom make itself known? Uh, that, that's where we ought to be looking to the scriptures to see how that how that happens and and what the Lord has called us to do and what He's called us not to do. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus tells Peter. I, I've just I've never been able to reconcile in my mind personally Bonhoeffer, this man I hold in high esteem uh, as an author, as a writer, as clergy. I, I I've just never been able to reconcile his participation in attempting to assassinate Hitler. Yeah. So. I think, I think it's, th- this is definitely something worth digging into more. Uh, Cause uh, you know, I've got a billion different thoughts of what about, what about, what about, but then I'm sure you do, good, you know, and I, and uh, I'm, I'm open to being wrong about this, but yeah. I, I, I just, have an, I have an idea of someone to see if we can bring on to be a guest. Good. Which, which could be a lot of fun. Cool. I'm all for it. Yeah. It's, it's a question worth asking because I, I feel like, you know, we, we live in an angry world right now. And, and yeah, and, that, that's a really good point. And, and w- how are we going to, how are we going to go about uh, participating with Jesus in his kingdom work? We got to, re- we, we've got to start with that foundation. This is his kingdom work. Mm-hmm. And we cannot, we cannot be like Peter, you know, and I know, I mean, Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and, and rebukes Satan and says, you're thinking like man, 
not like God. Mm-hmm. And that I want to run from that. I, I do not want my Lord looking at me and rebuking Satan. Uh, <laughs> and I think there's a risk when we live in an angry world um, that where tensions are so high, there's a yep. risk to take matters into our own hands. I know we got to shut this down, but I'm, I'm teaching in Luke 11 right now. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Uh, and one of the, we, we know the Lord's prayer, but one of the lines from that prayer is lead us not into temptation. And what is that? Like, is, is that the temptation not to lust? Is that the temptation not to be greedy or be materialistic or what, 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 what temptation is he talking about? I think it's a broad, uh, um, reference to temptation that is, perhaps understood best by going to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying and he tells the disciples watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here's what we know. Jesus prayed in that garden. The disciples slept. And when the posse shows up, I think Peter falls into the temptation. Jesus Mm. does not. Peter draws his sword. Why? Because he falls, he succumbs to the temptation to take matters into his own hands. Jesus submits to the Father's will. He prays, not my will, your will be done. If there's any way, let this cut pass, but nevertheless, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Jesus doesn't succumb to the temptation. Peter does. And it's the temptation to take matters into our own hands. And I'm not saying for certain that that's what Bonhoeffer did or that that's what the person with a bulldozer in their backyard, the redneck in Greer, South Carolina, decides I'm going to bulldoze down an abortion clinic. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there is going to be that temptation in an angry world where tensions are high to take matters into our own hands. And I, I go back to what I said earlier about making war from a kingdom standpoint on anything, we need to pray. We need to pray right. to the Lord of the harvest. We need to look to the scriptures and we need to depend on Jesus to lead us uh, as to how he would have us participate with him. And my, my, my inclination is my new Testament informed inclination is that that's not going to be his leadership is not going to lead to physical violence. That's my well, let's, let's leave it there then. <laughs> so we don't go around in circles. I, I, I am inclined to agree with the vast majority of what you said, you know, yeah. like the, the king, the kingdom does not advance militarily like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can draw a very hard line there. Yeah. Um, I think, I think where we would get more in the weeds is stuff like Protestant resistance theory and, and stuff like that, which, you know, we'll discuss that another time because <laughs> it's worth discussing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so we'll see, we'll see who we can get on. Cause I have an idea and yeah, I'll email him. <laughs> Sounds good. Love it. So, well, thanks for listening to the Westminster effect Soxology podcast. Go love God, love your neighbor and make some music. We'll see you next week. <laughs>